Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's November 16th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. I want to talk about schadenfreude a little bit later. Just want to give you guys a heads up on that. We're joined by uh, Alice Lloyd and Andrew Egger of the Weekly Standard. How are you? Happy Friday. I'm doing well. Hi, Charlie. We, Happy Friday to you. We made it this far. And of course, today we are all Jim Acosta, aren't we? We are all Jim Acosta, who uh, won a uh, significant victory in uh, in federal court. Uh, not a complete victory, but at least he gets his hard card back. And Andrew, you filed a story on who the real winner in all of this is. Yeah, so for starters, I mean, it feels a little, you know, it's, it's such a it's such a dumb story, you know. It's such a dumb story to begin with. Everything about it's dumb. Uh, from from the the fight that sort of spawned the whole thing, where he where, where Acosta got in a little tiff with a White House intern about whether or not he was going to hand over the microphone uh, when he was trying to ask Trump a question. They were trying to move on to another reporter, and then the White House said he uh, physically attacked the intern, which just hadn't happened. It was on camera, and then they took away his hard pass, and then CNN sued, and now they've gotten this temporary injunction saying that uh, with a judge saying the White House can't just take away press passes from people willy nilly, um, and so that's that's sort of the the thing that happened this morning, there was that that uh, the the judge granted that injunction. So uh, CNN's been sort of celebrating this as like a big win for for free speech. It's sort of a narrow uh, court ruling so far. I mean, he, the, the judge is saying that the, the White House does not have the right to just yank press passes as though they were just like you know a private business or a private residence or something like that, which is obviously a good thing. Um, but but yeah, the, the piece that I wrote, uh, my, my basic point is is just that you know whoever wins this this particular legal fight, and it looks like CNN will uh, get Acosta back in the briefing room. But that, you know, in terms of the, the the political outcome, it's really hard to see this as being anything other than a win for, for Trump, just because anytime Acosta, who's one of the more sort of bombastic and pompous uh, people in a, a bombastic and pompous group of reporters, which is the, the White House press corps, um, anytime he has the opportunity to make himself the story, he pretty much does so, and and uh, and that's what Trump likes. You know, it's it's they they did take away his pass this time, um, and and it looks like they're going to have to give it back. But but you know, at any point over the past year, uh, the the White House could have very easily kept Acosta from continuing to make himself the, the center of the story by just not going toe to toe with him. Trump doesn't have to engage with him. Sarah Sanders doesn't have to engage with him. But they choose to engage with him because they realize that like the, these sorts of stories where it becomes a uh, you know uh, Jim Acosta wagging his finger and saying, "Well, have you no shame, sir?" Uh, that that those are the kinds of things that Trump then can point to and and say, "Look, you know these 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 media types. It's it's all bluster. It's all bombast. It's all sort of self satisfied smirking." And it's uh, and 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 you know, th and th that's what sort of gives him cover to do these broader attacks on on reporters and reporting more generally. Yeah, so no, I, I mean, think, yeah. You know, Donald Trump is uh, Donald Trump always needs an enemy, and he's uh, he's pretty skilled tactically in picking out who he wants to be the the person that he's fighting with. Uh, let me give you a slightly different perspective. And I don't disagree, by the way, with the, uh, the, the the political analysis there. But um, you know. Stepping back and try to imagine if the federal judge had gone the other way and accepted the Trump administration's rather maximalist position that the president has absolute power to deny credentials to anyone for any reason, including um, asking questions he doesn't want to answer or writing things that he doesn't like. Um, that would have been a significant blow, not just for Jim Acosta and, you know, hard cases make for bad law. 
but it would have established a, a relatively dangerous precedent. The fact that this judge, and it is a narrow ruling, it is just a temporary restraining order, um, that this judge in fact basically said, you know, you may be the president of the United States, but you do not have absolute control over who gets to cover the White House is, again, if you just factor a cost out, is an important ruling, especially coming from a Trump appointee, an indication that the federal judiciary is, in fact, going to push back and that there are, in fact, uh, operative checks and balances. Alice, yeah. you want to take a side here? Um, sorry, I, I, did, I, did I zone out? No, I think, I, I, I frankly, this has been a story that I, that I find um, pretty unappealing. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's just an opportunity. And, and, and I, I, honestly, I agree with Andrew. I think it plays into Trump's hands. I think, I think um, when the media make ourselves the story, I think we, we look ridiculous um, and make it that much easier for people to uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. see us I agree. as ridiculous. I, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't really, really think the free press wins. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, in the long run, though, I mean, in, in this particular case. Just, just um, as a, cor- as a yeah. legal ruling, I totally agree with you, Charlie. Yeah. I think no, that's. No, right, there's a legal ruling. Well, and also uh, yeah. he, was, he was applying the, the, the uh, D.C. Circuit already has a precedent out there mm-hmm. that, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, the, the White House cannot just arbitrarily, without due process, yank that hard card. And the judge had signaled that he was going to be bound by that. And, in fact, he, he did. Um, you know, since we're now talking about uh, stories that are highly, highly annoying, let's go to the schadenfreude watch. And, boy, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's almost unavoidable. Um, I, I want to preface this by saying I do not know what happened with Michael Avenatti. I do not know whether he, in oh, fact, <laughs> I do not know whether he engaged in any sort of uh, domestic abuse. But it is it has been this explosion of Schadenfreude, particularly given the role that he played in the Kavanaugh hearing coming up uh, at the last moment with with allegations that uh, I think are widely regarded as uh, completely unsupported and probably bogus. And then, of course, the whole question of you know should all women be believed? Um, what are the standards of due process? Um, and of course, a lot of folks just are not able to restrain themselves from doing the na-na-na-na with how does it feel now to be accused? And uh, are you now suddenly a born-again believer in, in, in due process? He's pushing back, saying that he's completely innocent here. Um, to add to the bizarre twist of this story, he put out a tweet implying that that maybe he had been set up by Jacob Wall, um, who is notorious in some circles. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're at this point we're basically just playing, you know, Twitter grifter bingo, right? I mean, all these all these yes. stories. Right. It is. It is like it's like Jacob Wall's back in the news. He was like, didn't he have his five minutes when he tried to smear Robert Mueller? And that just blew up in his face. And so Avenatti would just picked his name. I, we don't I, I have no idea. We are down the rabbit hole here. But I guess it's the we just cannot restrain ourselves in, in this Twitter universe of playing the schadenfreude card. But I mean, my, Michael Avenatti is he's, he's going to be an interesting footnote in our current political history won't he so many yeah. of us hoped i think when this when when the story came out and what was it just earlier this week i mean that, that he was that he was in the street saying she hit me first it really seemed like it was the last we'd hear of him but of course we weren't that lucky um, <laughs> we're never that lucky anymore <laughs> right yeah. and, and, and like what what 
obviously this will come out, you know, that's it's it's in the legal system it, it, for for those. I mean, I don't know if we've if, if everyone's totally in the loop on this. There was a police report filed against Avenatti for supposedly uh, committing domestic violence. Um, initially, it was thought it was against his second wife. But then uh, I think Not that was the there was some confusion there it was with some other woman. And, and I think a lot of the detail I haven't been following this closely today. I don't know if you know more about what's what's the, the latest on on Michael Avenatti gate. Um, but 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 yeah, I mean, I think that it's. It, you, you, whatever happens with this, you know, it, the, the fact whether or not Michael Avenatti is a deeply awful person does not rest on whether or not he assaulted somebody here. I mean, we, we know this, well, that, right? that I mean, helps. He's, he's, that, that, he's that a adds. cancer. He's a, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but yeah, I mean, and, and, and he, you know, he, he's sort of a good uh, foil to, to Trump in a lot of ways, which is why he has developed such a following just because he, um, he's sort of the, the left's version of, uh, this sort of unscrupulous guy who will who will punch hard and and never let up and uh, and I think that, that they are realizing that a lot of people on the left are realizing that he was sort of a bad guy to sort of elevate into this resistance hero. But he rose status. so fast and you know and I'm if if you guys can give me any information about how to scrub things from the the internet because I'm sure that there's a picture of of Michael Avenatti and me somewhere together. I just, <laughs> I, just I just know there is. Oh sure and, yeah. And I, and I and I have he's to everywhere. Scrub. I know. And and I was actually there at one of his very, very first, uh, you know, cable appearances. And it's watching this phenomenon. He was he was actually very good and, you know, looked sober and serious. And everybody, of course, oh, my goodness, who is this guy? And of course, because we can't do anything by half measures. He then goes on to about 7000 cable TV hits. Even after the point where it was clear that he was not going to stay in his lane and he was prone to be to make, uh, you know, promises and allegations that he couldn't support. And then it got worse and worse and worse. And here it is. The the trajectory of going from, um, you know, somewhat newsworthy to completely burned out. I mean, we're gonna have to call it the full Avenatti at some point. Right. 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 I mean, it's like well, and- he's pulled a full Avenatti. Right. And do you remember when when uh, when he was sort of first coming onto the scene as uh, back before he was just sort of like an all purpose resistance hero? You will remember he he came onto the scene as Stormy Daniels lawyer in this lawsuit that she filed against Trump months ago. And and it, I, it's funny because we talked about this at the time, you know, even on this very podcast. I remember we us talking about this, talking about how, you know, the, the strategy that Avenatti was employing um, was 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 basically trying to beat Trump at his own game where where you'd seen story after story after story after story after scandal after scandal sort of roll off Trump's back without without any effect or impact. And, and, and you know, we even said it's it's interesting that Avenatti is is trying to do this Trumpy thing in order to go after Trump where he controls the news cycle and he says outrageous things. He goes after him in this way. And then, you know, later we learned that the 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 pluses if you will of this trump style stuff are accompanied by all the same minuses of the trump style stuff which is all of these mm. sort of horrible things that we've we've seen uh from avenatti in the in the months following <laughs> yeah um well since we're on since we're on the the celebrity politics here i got an email that uh, that alice you wanted to talk about aoc and i actually took me a few minutes thinking is that really a thing are we really at AOC for? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and and I think that we need to be committed to making it a thing because it's so much easier to say AOC than Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, and in some media circles, you would think that the only incoming freshman Democrat is in fact um, Cortez or or AOC. 
I mean, she she is uh, and just an undeniable star. And yes, they call her ASC. Her people call her ASC, which is which to me it, it echoes HRC, perhaps troublingly. I don't think that's an association that they would really appreciate. But um, whatever. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I think I, I, I think her for I mean, just watching her her first week, it's been fascinating. I think to compare. Um, the coverage she gets to the coverage that um, like anything else gets. I mean, I think, I think, I think her, I frankly, her social media game is, um, I don't even want to call it impressive. It's just very, very digitally native. Her use of Instagram, her use of Instagram stories too. I mean, you kind of, if you follow her, you kind of feel like she's your friend who's like made it all happen. And, um, I, know, I mean, technically, you know, I disagree with her about everything, but um, <laughs> have no, have no particular criticism to make here. I just think, I mean, I just think that she's changing the game. And the, I mean, the piece that I did uh, write about her this week was awkwardly timed because she's been getting um, uh, some, frankly, inappropriate criticism from um, other writers on the right recently. Um, so inappropriate that it was like like memefied. We don't have to technically go into it if you don't want to, but. Um, we're talking about the coat, right? Yeah, yeah. People are taking pictures of yeah, so, the so, coat she's wearing and implying that it doesn't look like what a sufficiently proletarian coat or something. So dumb. So, I, I so did, stupid line of argument. Like she's not. You know, she's not. She's not dressed as like like Mao. And, and she's not wearing a barrel a, with yeah, strap. Yeah, yeah. Not wearing burlap. I didn't. It just didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense. But um, but but no. I think. And I mean. And even frankly, the way that she uh. I mean, I, I, Andrew, I think it sounded like you were just quoting her tweeted response to that criticism. So I just, I mean, I, I, I just think she um, owns every cycle she's a part of. And, and, and my, my piece was just making the point that this ought to remind us of um, other political figures who've done this, who without, who without having, um, you know, too much particular impact on policy, uh, yet, I mean, she, we can't argue that she has yet, have, have actually reshaped their party. Um, and so mm-hmm. you have Tom Perez saying that she's the future of the party and that was months ago. Um, but we all, we sort of, we, we can watch that happening. We know that it's true. I mean, even just the, what the cover of the New Yorker, she is leading all of the women of color coming into um, what I guess is like the cloakroom or something like that. I don't know, coming coming into the halls of Congress, and it's all white men. Anyway, um, so it's not just it's not just, it's not just conservatives then who are who are my narrative. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just conservatives who are trying to say that she's kind of the face of the Democratic Party. Because going back to our first topic, uh, you know, cl- clearly, if you're Donald Trump, you you, you want to make Jim Acosta the face of the media. Um, if you're Donald Trump, you know, a lot of Republicans would love to make Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez the face of the Democratic Party in Congress, right? Yeah, she's a useful adversary because, um, you know, and I, I, I compare her to Michelle Bachman, to Sarah Palin, to, to, mm-hmm. to, to people who became famous for their gaffes, right? And, and she's a useful adversary because she does have a history of, um, you know, inarticulate answers on complicated questions. And she knows... Um, she knows how to do her thing. She knows how to raise money. She knows how to like really get out the young people's vote. Um, but she she doesn't know everything. So if you ask her about everything, which which when you are this kind of totem, people will ask you about everything. Um, she I mean it, it, she is useful. I think um, 
to the enemy in the yeah. way in the way that Palin and Bachman were. Yeah. Or say Trump. <laughs> or say <laughs> Trump. But then again, then again, he has he has the earned media advantage right. that she does, you know, right. and that's yeah, why. Right. <laughs> if I could, if I could say yeah. just just a, a couple a couple quick things about this. One is that yes, obviously, you know, up to this point, largely symbolic. She's obviously not even you know sworn in to Congress yet, so can't have those sorts of uh, policy impacts. Um, but one one particular policy area where I think it is really interesting that that she's already sort of putting herself out there yeah. um, is is the the Amazon headquarters uh, decision mm -hmm. that, that oh, yeah. she came and out very strongly against. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's sort of like there are people I on the right that. who are saying that. And 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 the thing that's so interesting about that is that is that uh, if it were Joe Crowley still in that seat, you you can really see a difference there in that Crowley was sort of like the pro business, pro development kind of oh, yeah. uh, more right. yeah. uh, central leading, yeah, uh, cronyist, uh, yeah, <laughs> Democrat. So that that's just sort of an interesting area where where you already do see this big difference in this specific seat for that specific local issue. Um, and the other thing, just just to your your point about the the sort of uh, picking your adversaries thing, one thing that I worry about a little bit with with seeing the way that some people on the right have responded to Ocasio Cortez is yeah. that you know the, the the sort of posture that's taken is oh look it's this young sort of airhead socialist who. Uh, has uh, is just proposing a bunch of pie in the sky policies, a bunch of you know totally unfeasible ideas, uh, and 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 thus sort of the the thing to do is just portray her as the face of the Democratic Democratic Party and basically just just mock it sort of on on the basis of that and and only that. And I think that one one thing that people on the right need to realize is that the the days when those just sort of like pitching those sort of policies. Uh, what the days when that was ridiculous on its face to sort of a critical mass of American voters, those days are kind of fading. It's 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 we're, we're sort of getting past the point where you can literally mm -hmm. just say, uh, oh my gosh, that person is proposing sort of democratic socialist policies. What a goof! And and leave it at that because I mean, there's a reason why she got elected. There's a reason why she's become the face of the Democratic Party, which is that Democrats, a lot of them, agree that there's that there's something here. There's 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 a there's a, a platform here. There's a strategy here. For, for for motivating voters and getting people out, so I think that you know just to the, to to just leave it at that kind of mockery, that those kind of like empty sort of uh, cheap attacks, uh, you right. we, we might be we might be missing the the fact that there is something here that needs to be actually reckoned with yeah. as a potential. Uh, Andrew, policy. is what you're trying to say that Bernie would have won because uh, I think I know, Alice. I think I am trying to say that Bernie would yeah. have won. I yeah. I wasn't gonna I. I, I wasn't even thinking it to myself until you put it that way. But yeah, I think I think that's on some exactly level. It. I think we're both always thinking that. Um, it, no, it, I, it, I, it, I think you're possible. absolutely right because um, it, because it, it, it's also important I think to remember that that how perfectly her critics also play into uh, I, I play into her hands. I guess mm -hmm. I mean I mean kind of those, those criticisms that do play as sexist. Um, I think I think also just really empower her case um, and. Uh, and her case is, I think, in part that, like, yes, she is just standing in this totemic leadership role sort of on behalf of everybody who hasn't had a voice. And every shaft yeah, of criticism reinforces that position. Yeah. And, and, and even also the criticisms that are rooted in sort of class shaming, you know, the, yeah, the, 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 the optics yeah, well, of. The optics yeah, of like yeah. people in in like right media uh, just being like, oh, look at this poor trying to do public policy is just sort of it's, it's a potential disaster it's horrible yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 it is the, the worst thing right the now. worst thing you can do though is you're, you're exactly right and I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna call this shot here 
it, you know, with this, uh, you know, the mockery that she was wearing clothes that were too good for, you know, a working class right. girl, she's going to end up on the cover of Vogue magazine. You know, this one, this, <laughs> this is something she's going to turn this around. That kind of criticism just blows up in your face. Yeah. Well, she was already criticized for for the really great outfit that she wore in a photo shoot for Interview Magazine. Mm-hmm. Which oh, that was so I remember funny. that distinctly because of how dumb it was, because, of course, that was not her outfit. Right, yeah, she I, tweeted that. She was like, you know you don't get to keep, keep the it. outfit from this thread, right? <laughs> okay, we gotta, we, gotta keep, we, we have to keep this theme alive here. Uh, so, yeah. Alice, yeah. tell me about Elvis and why Elvis is winning the Medal of Freedom. And, and, and what we should read into this, if anything. So I have to say, for my birthday, I actually, I'm going to tell the whole story. Um, uh, my boyfriend and I were going to go to the New Yorker Festival, but they wouldn't comp my tickets. They would only comp his. So instead, we decided to do the exact opposite of the New Yorker Festival. We went to the Grand Ole Opry. And then the next, uh, or the a the, uh, couple days later, we went to Graceland. Um, which I think is the exact antithesis, right, of the New Yorker Festival. Anybody agree? Yeah, anyway. uh, I'm, I'm down on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm still kind of in an Elvis mood. And so when I read uh, that Trump that Trump was giving um, Elvis posthumously or, you know, who knows, right? The, <laughs> <laughs> the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I remembered that famous photo of Elvis and Nixon in the Oval Office. Mm hmm. December 21st, 1970, it didn't actually go public until 88 because Elvis asked to keep it private. And I guess they, they, it didn't actually, wasn't actually published by the National Archives until after Nixon died too, 88. That makes sense. But um, the real reason he was there is a lot stranger than you'd think. So Priscilla Presley wrote about it in her in her memoir and then the Nixon aide um, who sort of facilitated the meeting has has spoken about this too um, since then. But Elvis was an avid collector of police and sheriffs and detectives' badges. He liked to have badges, which is fairly quirky. And uh, what he really wanted from the federal city, why he made the trip to D.C., was to get a, a narcotics officer, federal narcotics officer's badge, um, and, 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 and even though the, and, he, he, and, and even if you're Elvis, you have to like, go, go to the city. You couldn't order on amazon.com back then. So, so like the, the top yeah. narc, like the, the, the guy who was authorized to give it to him, I, I, his, I think his surname was like Finlater. I read his obituary in my fact checking for my little item, <laughs> um, said, said, no, we can't give you this. That's just not something we do. Ooh. But, but Nixon pulled some strings and got him the badge. And he was so happy to get the badge that the, the Nixon aide who was there says he, says he, he leaned in for a hug, um, which of course ought to remind us of the recent Trump Kanye meeting. Um, but, uh, the, I mean, and, and that's, that's, I think kind of like the obvious, the obvious spin on this, that, that Trump probably wishes his Kanye meeting had been, um, an Elvis meeting instead. Um, just, 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 just fits the, uh, MAGA theme a little bit, a little bit better. Andrew, I got, I got nothing, I got nothing more. It's just, uh, you know, Elvis hasn't been around for a while. Great champion of freedom, but that's all I got. On, Elvis, on, on Elvis. Elvis. Let's speak for themselves. <laughs> Stephen Miller is a big Elvis fan. I don't know if we knew that. Yeah, no, I did. I did actually know that. Do you think that had anything to do with it? Who knows? <laughs> they sitting around going, hey, who's your favorite person? If you could give the Medal of Freedom to anybody, doesn't this sound like the kind of thing that, you know, you'd be sitting around with a bunch of beers going, oh, oh, yeah. I would think it That's should be funny. Elvis. And 
Miriam Edelstein. I mean, Edelson. Miriam Edelson, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, my, two, my two contacts Orrin Hatch with... is getting it. Orrin Hatch is getting it. Babe Ruth? Babe Ruth, that's, that's overdue. <laughs> that's just a little that. bit overdue. Yeah. Oh, almost well, as overdue as Orrin Hatch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. The, okay, let's talk about something substantive. I mean, we've gone through all of this other stuff, but there's actually <laughs> some, some... Believe it or not, there are things that are going on. Um, and Alice, you've written about, uh, what, uh, Betsy DeVos has done with title nine and, you know, th- 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 you know, she, at the end of this term, she may be the only member of the cabinet still there, but, uh, just <laughs> tell me about uh, what we need to know about what she's doing with, uh, with that. So, I mean, what's interesting is that we already knew that these were coming right at the end of August. It was leaked to the New York Times, these draft regulations. And, and last year too, she announced that she was, um, <laughs> rescinding, right, the Obama-era regulations that required every campus to adjudicate sexual assault claims uh, uniformly, but also um, also structured a procedure that, that in many cases, I mean, has, has been virtually endless. Um, and, so, and so what DeVos is trying to do is narrow and clarify campus's responsibilities. And the key thing that's come out today that some folks weren't sure what's going to happen with these new regs is the requirement that an accused student and an accuser um, will both have a legal advisor. And if they don't have their own, it'll be provided, someone will be provided for them. Um, and and this, this will be someone to, to cross-examine. Um, and so, and so that's, I mean, that, that's just important for for kids on both sides because kids so often um i mean so often when these uh campus adjudications go into the like the real legal system when when you know somebody sues for an education sues their school it's because they didn't know what was happening to them on either side they just didn't know what was going on and so having this requirement of an advisor um is is is, is really important because students will actually realize um what they're getting into and that's what I, I just had an interview with a woman who served in this role, um, a Virginia-based attorney, and 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 that that's the thing that she really highlighted um, um, because it's almost, you know, of course the top line um, from 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 critics of the administration is going to be that that narrowing the scope of um, of Title IX campus sexual assault adjudication will just just give um, you know victims fewer rights. But um, at the same time, narrowing and clarifying uh, what schools are supposed to do, I, I think uh, in, a, in a lot of cases, we'll give, we'll give students on both sides of these accusations um, a, a, just a better chance of figuring out what they're getting into. Um, no, I think and, you're exactly yeah. right here. And again, uh, yeah, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of uh, I think uh, overall criticism of all of this, but this is really about due process. It, it is about uh, protecting the rights of the accused, and but also protecting the rights of uh, of, of the victims here. And yeah. there had been there had been a you know a gross imbalance under those Obama era guidelines that what was right. a, the dear colleague letter, and this just sort of I think resets the balance. Um, Unfortunately, um, I, I think it's going to be it's because of the overheated atmosphere um, of, 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 of politics. I'm not sure she can get a fair hearing for it, but uh, I think your analysis is is, uh, is exactly right. Well, honestly, the thing that we're most likely to see is that a lot of schools are going to ignore the regulations completely. And so and so that those, I think, are the sorts of lawsuits we're going to see coming out um, because because these these are I mean, 
real regulations as opposed to guidance documents. And, and so, and so they will, um, they, they, I mean, they, 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 they will go to the courts and they will, you know, make precedent and they will, uh, it'll, it'll be expensive and it'll be messy, but campuses will resist changing their processes for exactly those overwrought political reasons that, that, that you, uh, described. So. Okay, so Andrew, anything? It's a long that, road ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a very long road ahead, yeah. and uh, this is going to be something that will be tied up in the courts, and it's just a messy situation. So, Andrew, anything you're looking at over the next couple of days, or are we about to have just a few days of quiet? Or the thing I am uh, looking forward to over the next couple of days is Thanksgiving. I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would looking like forward to, think to taking a bit of a step back. I would, with I family. Would, yeah. yeah, I would like to think that's going to happen, but uh, <laughs> you, you do got the you did get the sense from the president uh, with uh, the mood he was in, the body language, the lashing out at the Mueller investigation, uh, the suggestion today that he's finished writing the answers to the questions that there are a lot more shoes that are going to be dropping soon. And then, of course, there's the uh, the story in the New York Times uh, today that that the president has been going around asking people, is Mike Pence really loyal? Is Mike Pence really loyal? And <laughs> people now speculating, is he thinking about replacing him? He won't. He won't actually do that. Uh, okay, here's but, the thing. Trump Trump never does the, like, Trumpy things that you sort of right. secretly hope he will do. Um, and, uh, and, and going after Mike Pence would be would be one of those. It'd be kind of fun to see. Uh, another one that, that I... I, I just desperately wish would happen uh, on, on a slightly lighter note is I, it would be so, so great if, if Donald Trump would just decline to pardon the Turkey. It's such a <laughs> silly hackneyed tradition. It, it needs to go. It would be so exciting for, for him to be like, no, this is the Turkey that we're going to eat for Thanksgiving this year. Is that, is that like skipping the correspondence <sighs> dinner? It's just sort of like, like going rogue. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But but I mean, funny. skipping the correspondence dinner is just sort of like a boring, lame thing to do <laughs> that only people in D.C. care about. You, this could this could be a major uh, national news event if 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 Donald Trump were to. <laughs> do, do either do either of you remember the Sarah Palin YouTube video where she's when she was governor of Alaska, she was doing something with turkeys or something. I don't know what. And in the background, they were killing the turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I miss oh, cool. That's and very like, Alaska. As, as you're watching this, the people's horror is like, oh, my gosh, right there. And, you know, she's just <laughs> chatting away. And it was it was just a little slice of Americana. Have either of so, you ever ever killed a, a, a bird, a food no. bird? I have. Oh. I've beheaded chickens. You have. Yeah. You still live in Iowa. Yeah. Did that. I mean, you you you, you did this. Something that you do in Iowa, apparently. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Every Iowan. Uh, yeah. But, and, and you do stuff with with hogs too, and pigs. So. I I have never uh, I have never butchered a hog. That's a little bit more. Uh, that's a, that was above my pay grade as a an eight year old kid. And you know, yeah. pigs pigs have complex emotional lives. Yeah, chickens. I know. I don't want to, this is depressing. Chickens on every the chicken other is hand. awful. Chickens <laughs> are, uh, are are bad creatures and deserve death. Okay, so eight years old. Did you, you say you cut the, when you were eight years old? They sent you out to cut the head off a chicken. Uh, I, I don't know. We had we, my 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 dad was a pastor of a rural congregation. We lived um, around a lot of farmers, and uh, we would we would go we would go help out with uh with with. So they gave you a little like hatchet. Okay, uh, yeah. So there's a stump. There's a stump. There there's two yeah. nails nailed into the stump. You put mm -hmm. the chicken's head between those two nails, and uh -huh. it's sort of like stretched out, and you just whack it. And uh, and my younger brother one time was chased around the yard by, by a headed chicken. chicken. Yeah. Oh, cool! So, I knew you were going to say that. I was so excited. It, you know what, Andrew? Ben Sass would approve. I think that's the Ben Sass parenting model, is it not? 
I uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's correct. We were more uh, it was more like uh, emotional tourism for us, I think, than uh, it wasn't really our lifestyle, but uh, but we participated. Oh, interesting. Yeah. On that note, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very much, and hope both of you had a great Thanksgiving. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday, and we will do this all over again. <laughs>